Everything is about the people, everything. Like companies are not companies, companies are aggregations of individuals. If I wouldn't come work for you mm -hmm. on this mission to solve this problem, and I look at you as this leader that I would want to work with, how are you going to recruit the A players that are at other organizations that they don't want to leave, right. or literally the best? The answer is you probably can't. Welcome to The Insiders, a podcast on the latest advancements, challenges, and successes in innovation and technology. With industry leaders sharing their personal stories, we humanize the world of innovation and inspire listeners to push their boundaries and celebrate real humans shaping our collective future. Hello again and welcome to the KPMG Insiders. I'm Mark Lowe, head of KPMG Ignition here in Vancouver and the host for the podcast. My guest today is Sid Paquette, who leads RBCX at the Royal Bank of Canada, RBC. Uh, at RBC, Sid manages a, a portfolio with Ford Arms, so you've got banking, capital, platform, and ventures, um, with a very, very large team, as I understand, so we want to get into all that good stuff as well, um, but really helping shape the future uh, of RBC, number one, um, and of course, the work that you're doing has a big ripple effect in terms of the Canadian tech ecosystem as well. So very, very excited to jump into all the stuff. Sid, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Super excited to be here. Oh, it's so great to have you. Let's uh, let's set the table a little bit for the conversation. When you got to, to RBC, tell me a little bit about how you thought about the role at RBCX, what, what you were kind of asked to do, and without getting into too much confidential detail, I mean, we'd love to just understand how you think about your portfolio now and your kind of role in terms of helping RBC innovate and some of your background with other places. No, happy to. And, and uh, you know, it was interesting because when I first connected with the folks from RBC, uh, it was actually a friend of mine in the industry, very close friend who was also chatting with these individuals um, from RBC, just giving them some insights. It, it really wasn't a recruitment session. It was yeah. a, hey, can we pick your brain on some things? And I remember my friend called me and he said, hey, like, you know, I just met with these RBC guys. Can you, you know, take a meeting with them. And I was, I was like, no, I actually can't. I was like, I, like I've done these a lot and I'm like super buried. I'm like, I totally can't do it. And he was like, come on. He's like, they're really good guys. Do me a favor, whatever. And I was like, okay, fine. And I did. And they were amazing individuals. And so we just talked through kind of what it is that they wanted to do within their tech practice. And then I just gave them some insights into, in terms of what I had seen over the course of my career in terms of the value add that banks were providing to tech and innovation companies, right? right? And, and, you know, I would say, you know, my view at the time was banks didn't provide a lot of value, right? And <laughs> what they provided was capital, but capital is not value, right? right? And they didn't even provide capital all the time. And, and you know, arguably, they, they may not have provided capital when companies needed it the most, right. but, but they didn't provide value. And so, just even in that first meeting, I actually, you know, I remember having the, the meeting with these two individuals who are, are really good friends of mine now. And, uh, you know, I said to them, I said, hey, like, if you guys wanted to build something that was going to affect change in this country and have a meaningful impact on the tech and innovation ecosystem, this is what I would build. Right. And I described at a very, very high level what the RBCX platform is. Um, Definitely not in the detail that we've ultimately built it and the team has taken it to, but, you know, kind of at a very rudimentary level, like how do you, like how could you add value if an right. organization, you know, as large as RBC wanted to put their shoulder in behind it? 
And so, you know, the individuals were like, yeah, like that's, that sounds very interesting. We hadn't really thought about it that way. Let us go away and come back to you and we'd love to pick your brain again. So they came back, it was probably about a month later and it was at that point that they said, hey, you know, we'd love for you to kind of come on board and build this out. Uh, and then we had, you know, further discussions after that in terms of, you know, because for me, not being in a bank ever in my life, yeah. you know, I had a perception <laughs> of culture. I had a yeah. perception of bureaucracy and autonomy. And so I really, you know, needed to get comfortable on building something innovative within what my perception was a non-innovative organization. And so, you know, that started a process that was probably nine months long of just meeting kind of all of the executives I can meet just to really understand whether there was the commitment, et cetera, because a lot of big organizations, you'll have seen this over your career, tech is sexy. So they like to jump into, you know, they jump into the waves when, when they're high and they enjoy it. But then when the, when the tide goes out, so does everybody else. And that was something that I need to make sure didn't happen. And so that was what really kind of kickstarted that. And then I'd say the key thing for us in terms of our success was early on going out and hiring the best talent in this country at what they did and bringing them into the fold, right? Because I'm a huge believer uh, of A's hire A's and B's hire C's. We had to go out and hire A players, right? right. Because they're going to attract the A players that are ultimately going to allow us to build out, you know, the RBCX platform as right. it is today. So how do you think about... Um the process of innovation, right? So again, you've got this kind of two-pronged view of in terms of the portfolio, right? Internal facing to, R to RBC and trying to build value there. And then again, in, in the market, um, you know, I think one of the perceptions around innovation is sometimes that it's like, you know, this uh, struck by lightning or like the apple hits you on the head, right? But uh, the, the truth is that the, the, the work is actually, you know, much more kind of granular. How do you guys think about when you think about innovation or, you know, areas you're looking to add value, how, how do you do that assessment? How do you think about process? What, what does that kind of look like inside RBC? Yeah, and maybe I'll start just, I'll just talk about kind of what our mandate was from day one. Yeah. So our mandate wasn't to build a technology-focused bank. Our, our mandate on day one, and still is to this day, was to help tech and innovation companies scale. Right, and, and it so it extracts you a layer or two from, you know, selling banking products and services. It's right. not about that. It's let's do something that nobody else has done in this industry. Let's think about adding value. So that is core to everything that we do within our practice. So that's that's number one, and that's kind of our guiding light. When you talk about more broadly innovation, it drives me crazy. And maybe this is from, you know, my angel investing world or you know my you know, service provider world or my VC world drives me crazy when I see innovation for the sake of innovation, right? right? And so, you know, Kleenex works pretty good. Do we really need to innovate on Kleenex? Probably <laughs> not. And so innovation for the sake of innovation, I actually really don't like, but innovation with a purpose, yeah. I really do. And I, you know, I'd say when I think about innovation, and again, I'm just talking about me, not, not my team and others, because, you know, certainly everyone's got their own view. But my view is when you think about innovation and you think about the people who are innovating, like there's really three buckets that you need to be in, in my view, to make innovation successful. You either need to be the innovator, you either need to be the, the individuals or the organizations supporting the innovators, or you need to get the hell out of the way. <laughs> and if you're not one of those three buckets, you're actually, 
you know, the antithesis of innovation yeah. and you're actually hindering it, right? And so when we think about innovation, it's really with that lens, it's what can we do to help companies scale? Mm-hmm. And again, that could be RBC, that could be our ventures, that could be our clients, could be our non-clients, right? It's just what can we do to help companies scale? And let's let's support those companies. If we're not doing the innovation ourselves, of which we do a lot ourselves, if we're not doing the innovation ourselves, let's make sure that we're supporting those that are. Yep. Um, but then also try to guide people who are doing innovation for the sake of innovation to do it in a different way or, <laughs> you know, combine, you know, your really smart team with another really smart team who's actually got something that's there. But, you know, you start pulling these people together. And um, that's kind of, and again, it's not the perfect rubric for this, but it's how we think about it. And, you know, it enables us to be super diligent as well. Like when we're looking at, you know, in assessing companies, either clients or ventures or prospects or potential M&A targets, you know, are they solving a problem? Right. And is that problem a big problem? Our team only wants to be involved in really, really big things. We want to build really, really big companies or we want to support really, really big companies. It's way more fun. And and again, it's not to say that it's easy because it absolutely is not. It's probably more difficult because it's such a small percentage that actually get there. Yeah. But when you think about things that way, you've just got a different lens on innovation generally, and that's kind of how you know we've operationalized that amongst the team. And again, you know, it, it it's our guiding light to, you know, there's only so many times you can pivot to when you've really got to look at yourself in the mirror and go, okay, like this idea is just not going to work as a as a business, right? Or hey, we're helping this client. You got to be honest with the client and go, you know what, Mark you're a really smart individual, here's why your idea may not be successful and try to guide them in a certain way. Yep. Externally, it's always, it's it's hard, but but again, it's kind of something that we, we take to our core. So, I mean, there's some interesting threads to pull on there. When you describe that, it sounds to me, first of all, uh, you know, very kind of uh, product and growth, like uh, in other words, the the demand in the market is pulling the product in a way, right? That, that's what that sounds like to me when I, when I hear you say, not innovation for innovation's sake. I want to be solving a problem. I want the market to be saying there's something there. It's sometimes, okay. right? Because I, I also, I, so sometimes, because I think, you know, it's not that, so I think what you're talking about is when you get product market fit, right? When you've got clients calling you for your product, that's a pretty good sign that you've got product market fit. Like you're not pushing the boulder up the hill anymore. Now it's starting to roll down the other side, right? So that's the good sign for product market fit. I would argue sometimes, and again, you know, consumer feedback's great, but, you know, a friend of mine, you know, has said this many, many times, like, we didn't know that we needed or wanted 10,000 songs in our pocket digitally at mm-hmm. all times until, until the iPod came out. Yeah. And so, you know, in some cases, you know, but, but that was a problem, right? And so it, it was a problem that could be articulated. And it's okay that people didn't realize that they had that problem, but when you make them aware of the problem and they go, I want that, then 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 you start to get a little bit of that sense of, okay, we're on the right path, yeah. right? So it's not that you have to have that product market fit out mm-hmm. of the gate because almost nobody does. And it's not that you have to do what your clients want to do because in a lot of cases they don't know. And I, I do think it's good to you know, have that product lens. And, and again, we're hiring a, a senior product leader on our team, you know, who's going to help our clients and, and our, our ventures do exactly this. But 
you know, it's not that you have to have the view of exactly what is in demand when you hear and get that information from your clients. But when you've developed something and you show it to, you know, either corporations or individuals, and there's not a lot of uptake to it, and you iterate on it and iterate, like at some point you just got to be honest with yourself on yeah. that as well. We had uh, Anna Sainsbury from GeoComply yep. on the on the podcast, and one of the things that she talked about, which I thought was fascinating, was, you know, she said they have almost no salespeople because she's got such a finger on the pulse of the problem that they're solving that she's driving the product in a way that you know, is, is finding that. And she wants to be at the metaphorical coal face of the feedback that in, informs the roadmap and so on. You've talked about a couple of things there, right? The idea of you know, you're looking for big markets, obviously. You're looking for, you know, obviously in a venture space, you're looking for evidence of traction. You're looking for a founder who's got a, a finger on the pulse of what that problem is. So you're describing, you know, Steve Jobs, right? Had a vision of 10,000 songs in your pocket. He was creating that, almost creating that market or creating that problem because he had such a sense of like, this has to exist in the world. Talk to me a little bit about the kinds, the other things that you're looking for in a founder or in a, in a solution. So you know the, the you've you've got the you know you've got those those kind of core elements. What 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 is it a is it a a view of the founders themselves? Is it uh, is it a sense of you know how do you, how do you I guess what I'm trying to get at is how do you narrow in on what product or markets are interesting things that align to where you're you know, you're, you're yeah. trying to go to. So I'll start on the founder piece, yeah. right? And unfortunately, I'm not going to give you what you want. <laughs> Anybody who does, I think, is totally full of it, um, which is, you know, what are the things that a founder, you know, what what's are the, the recipe? What are the, exactly. The, what are the characteristics? The audience wants to know. What are the characteristics? If I could give that to you, we, you know, a whole bunch of people would be very, very wealthy, right? I think it's definitely more art than science. Made tons of mistakes. You learn through those you know, and then ultimately you have some successes. You learn, you know, probably a little bit less through your successes, but then you start to piece all those things together. I would say, you know, from a founder perspective, you know, I'll, I'll tell you my secret. Uh, and this I did all the time that I was an angel investor. I did it all the time that I was a VC. And I'm really proud of the investments that I made through that period of time. I think, you know, I invested, you know, along with the team in the best entrepreneurs in this country. What I do, and I, I still do this to this day whenever I'm contemplating an investment, is, you know, when I'm listening to the pitch and founders there, management teams there, what I always do in my head as that pitch is going on is I always put myself in the position of, okay, if I was otherwise unemployed, right? So I don't put a huge threshold that you have to take me away from RBCX or anything right. like that. If I am unemployed today, and I've got options, would I want to work for you? And if the answer is no, almost certainly <laughs> I would not invest in you. And the reason I wouldn't is because everything is about the people, everything. Like companies are not companies, companies are aggregations of individuals, it's about the people in the team. And my personal view is if I'm not, if I wouldn't come work for you mm -hmm. on this mission to solve this problem, and I look at you as this leader that I would want to work with, how are you going to recruit the A players down the street? How are you going to recruit the A players that are at other organizations that they don't want to leave, right. or literally the best? And the answer is you probably can't, right? And so that's, and again, that is, not, that is not a bad thing. It's just a thing. It's just kind of something that I've done. 
And again, it's not perfect, but it does help me in terms of, yeah, like if I am, you've pulled me into the story, you've got me compelled about what it is you're doing, and you've been able to like sell me on that. And it's not selling me on the investment, it's more than that. It's like, holy cow, if I, if I wasn't working here, I would wanna go work for you right. doing what you're doing. Like, I can't think of a better reason to invest in somebody. And so that's something, again, not a, not a crazy secret. I've talked about it before. It is something that I do perpetually and will continue to do that over and over and over again. And it's actually worked reasonably well for me, right? Like when I started doing that, I got to invest in some of the best entrepreneurs in this country because I, you know, during pitches, when I saw them interact, I went, oh my God, yeah, I would work for them, which means if I would work for them, you would probably work for them and dozens of other people would. And then at that point, you can build a big scalable organization. Let's, let's, um, let's, let's go down that rabbit hole a little bit. You, so you've referenced the idea of, uh, of teams and the importance of those individuals. Um, one of the things that I hear when you describe that, so I'm, I'm curious for your perspective on this, is uh, are you familiar with the two beers and a puppy test? Yeah. Okay. So for the viewers that, that aren't familiar with this, this idea, so two beers and a puppy test is a, a sort of sorting mechanism for how you deal with people in your life. So the two beers test is would I like to have a beer, would I like to have two beers with this person? Yes or no? And if you don't want to have two beers with somebody, you say, okay, I'm probably not interested in having you in my life. Two beers and a puppy test, the puppy part means am I going to, do I trust this person with my, my new puppy to dog sit over the weekend? And so those people are, you know, if you if you don't have the beers, but you might give them a puppy, that's pretty rare, but maybe. And ideally, you're looking for to surround yourself with people for whom you'd like to have two beers and leave your puppy with them over the weekend. Okay, so now having given that long preamble to the question, I'm curious for your perspective as you think about investee companies, first of all, uh, how much that sort of founder dynamic in terms of the types of people, right? Because it, it can be entrancing, right? Somebody gets somebody's very good at pitching. They're very persuasive. It's like, well, but actually day to day, they're jerks. Yeah. Right. So how much of that kind of sense goes into your decision making? That's question number one. And then I want to talk a little bit, let's start there. And I want to talk a little bit about how you think about building teams at RBC, because that sounds to me like that's also part of the mix of the types of people that you're hiring and the types of teams, you know, the eight players you're looking for. And there's a dynamic there that I want to talk about next. But let's start with the investee companies first. Yeah, so I think, you know, so the two beers and a puppy, it's great. I actually like mine better because it goes a bit deeper. There's a lot of people I would have two beers with. There's a ton of people that I would say, you want to take this dog? That's perfect. <laughs> like, I would trust you with my puppy. Um, for me, the, the idea of working with you, it's more than the pitch, right? Like, I've got to, like spend some time with you, do some things. It's going to be way more than two beers. You know, I'm going to think way more about, you know, you than just kind of babysitting my puppy for a day. Uh, it's really about where do I want to spend my time yeah. building something that's going to change the world for the next X number of years, which is a much greater commitment, right? And so for me, that's kind of how I, that's kind of my two beers and a puppy test. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of how I think about those things. And so I would say for me, that doesn't, like that's not differentiated in anything I do, um, whether it's investee companies or, you know, it's clients that I'm going to spend a ton of time with. Like at the end of the day, we only have a limited amount of time. And that's at the exclusion of friends and family and a whole bunch of other things. And so it's it's got to be with those sorts of individuals, right, is kind of my view. And so that's the way I would think about that stuff. Uh, the only caveat I would say on all of that, and I, I appreciate this and I'm, constantly try to fight against it 
is unconscious bias, right? And so even though I have that kind of in my mind, would I work for you? I always try to push myself on my unconscious biases as well, which, you know, to make sure that you, you know, I'm not, I don't like you because you are aligned with me or you're more like me or more like my friends. I try to push myself on that. I'm probably not perfect. In fact, I'm certainly not perfect on that. But at least I'm aware of it and trying to push on that thread a little bit more and, you know, just trying to, again, push the boundaries on that. And that's where I think teams are really valuable. Like, we would never make an investment based on my decision alone, ever. And we wouldn't do it based on anyone on the team's decision alone. And so we come together on these things, which, again, helps remove some of that unconscious bias as well, uh, which I think makes better decisions ultimately, right? And that's why VCs don't, you know, know, certainly in larger venture funds, there's teams of investment partners who get together and look at deals. They don't all have to agree, but, you know, you've got to have, you know, you can't have 10 against one, right, and still yeah, yeah. get a deal done, right? So I think that stuff's important for that. So that would be something that I that I constantly think about. On the question in terms of, you know, RBCX and our team, again, like it was very much the same philosophy, right? When we started, you know, three years ago, it was about, okay, like who's the best at – you know, what it is and where we're going, and let's go out and get those people. And part of it's passion, right? Like, again, like for me, I want to work with passionate people, which is partly that exercise of would I work for this individual yeah. if it's if they're monotone and they're not terribly excited about what they're doing, <laughs> but they're trying to recruit you. Probably not going to be a fit. I'm not going to go, right. right? I can assure you of that. And so part of it's like a like it's an honest passion, right? Yep. Like you're truly passionate about helping people, helping companies scale, doing this stuff, and honestly changing the world, right? And and I say that a lot. Our team says that a lot. Let's have an impact. And if you don't want to have an impact, that's great. There's lots of other places that are probably better fits for you. But if you want to have an impact, mm-hmm. like come talk to us, right? We're really happy to have you there. And we've got a bunch of philosophies internally. I think I talked about the you know A's higher A's, B higher B's higher C's. You know, there's a lot of other things that we do too. Like, you know, again, if I had an office, which I don't, but if I had an office, you'd probably see on the wall somewhere, and it's my favorite quote of all time, and I absolutely live by it, which is don't hire chess players and treat them like chess pieces, right? And so that's something, and and it's non-attributable. I've tried to find (laughs) out who actually said that. Uh, and you're I probably you have a that one. Sit, Paquette, I, you know, it, it's out there. It is not mine. <laughs> I can't. I can't find who originally did it. Uh, but it's just that notion of, you know, when we do hire people and we do bring them in, you know, I hate the term manager as well. And it, we're never going to get rid of it because it's just baked into our business culture. I hate it. I don't manage anybody. Our senior management team doesn't manage anybody. We're there to accelerate people, right? Mm-hmm. We're there to accelerate their personal lives. We're there to accelerate their careers. And then ultimately, that's really good for the business as well. And so that's kind of how we think about people. And, and part of that acceleration is, okay, let me understand what's really important to you. You know, let's, you know, it's probably if you're here and within our practice, it's going to be aligned to our business, certainly from a business and career objectives perspective. And then let's work together to accelerate that. Because if we accelerate what you're doing in your career and your aspirations, guess what? It's going to be really good for the business as well. And we're all going to be in it together. And we are very much a lead from the front organization. However, we all lead from the front. We are shoulder to shoulder as long as you can go, right? And 
we're there arm in arm, and if somebody falls back, we grab them and pull them forward. That's really how we're, we've built this practice. And, yeah. and, and quite frankly, like we're looking for people who have that same mentality as well. Yeah. You're referencing things there like, uh, first of all, it uh, sounds to me like a high degree of trust, right, in people to execute, right? You're looking for specific kind of characteristics around enthusiasm, passion, drive. How do you think, uh, how, how would you characterize yourself as a leader? You're touching on some of those things. If, uh, if I ask somebody on, you know, somebody on your team, what's, what's Sid like to work with? What do you think they would say? So on the trust side, I would say that if you were to ask folks on my team how Sid is as a leader, I, I would expect them to say, A, he's very much focused on the people. B, he's focused on accelerating our careers, helping however he can whether that's internally or externally, so certainly accelerating your careers. And then on the trust side, they would say that I always have their back no matter what, right? So I am not gonna let somebody hang out to dry. We are in this together. If you're doing something, I'm supporting you on that, which means if ultimately that turns out to be a bad decision, I own that as well, right? And so nobody gets hung out to dry. I suspect that's what you would hear. Love it. Well, let's leave it there. What a great conversation, Sid. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you. This was, this was amazing. Thanks for having me. Uh, what a pleasure. As always, uh, Mark Lowe for the Insiders Podcast on K- at KPMG. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.